speed marker and we're recording ladies and gentlemen welcome to episode 144 of the sling and lead podcast i'm tj and i'm kent and frankly it's been a couple busy weeks man (laughs) (laughs) i mean for you for you and me both we sit here and we try we even started the pre-recorded episodes with we're going to try to bring these to you guys more often. And then life was like, oh, oh no, the fuck you won't. <laughs> the, the world just continues to remind the both of us that we are adults. Yeah, as it, there's a phrase, there's a meme that I've seen recently that I've been quite fond of. The dildo of karma rarely comes used or lubed. <laughs> God. Okay. So the problem with that statement is, in my mind's eye, Karma's dildo belongs to my golden retriever, Karma, who was the sweetest of girls, and I would assume never had a dildo. I would hope not. Although I believe that's an untapped market. It's literally an untapped market. (laughs) Canine personal gratification devices? I'm just saying. Nobody has to have that market. So if you actually hey, are you t- are there, you t- are you tired of the shit Tzu dry humping your leg? Right. Here, here, it's a chew, it's a chew toy that doubles as a as a screw toy. Screw toys instead of chew toys. I can't. Bro, I think fuck. we just came up with the next billion dollar idea. <laughs> I was gonna say fuck this gun business shit. We're going to make doggy dildos. <laughs> so so literally, Soph the other day was like. We should get him like a golden retriever decoy because Grizzly, the new golden retriever, is a male and he is an intact male, so he does the humping, he humps the things. He's, I don't think my son has nary a stuffed animal that has not been molested. It's like Rupert's from Family Guy. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! Oh, it's like two in the morning in my house, and I just like walk out to get a drink of water. And there's a teddy bear with a long T-shirt on and nothing else, and it's just like, "What's up, man?" Smoking a cigarette, smoking <laughs> a cigarette. My money, like, my money wasn't on the dresser. I'm waiting till he pays me. Yeah, really. <laughs> what are you doing, Teddy? That'd be a re- that that'd be a really dark that a dark like Ted movie like part three. <laughs> I like that. So we're going to talk about two kind of widely divergent topics tonight, but they're kind of both pretty cool. We could nothing segues into shooting stuff like doggy dildos. Right. Well, I don't know how to get out of dog dildos. I mean, yeah, so we're, we're it's, somehow you follow the line to cats and then you make a pussy joke and then you like, there's a way, but I don't know if we have time for it. So I just nah, we don't have time to dig ourselves out. Although I pity the fool that decides to dice up this episode into sound bites. Uh, and then, judges us for the rest of our eternal lives um <laughs> yeah it's gonna make an interesting engraving on our headstones i'm just saying yeah but yeah so shot timers and handgun hunting is the title of tonight's topic so Brought to, to you be by very, tj to be very clear um we're not using shot timers for handgun hunting or handgun hunting shot timers i we're not no Although, I mean, using shot timers makes you better with pistols, which therefore makes you an effective handgun hunter. So I suppose if you take the long way around the tracks, you can get there. But no, um, so I've been I've been experimenting with the thing that I forgot the name of. 
Boy, I'm a uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the Kestrel KST one thousand KST one thousand shot timer. Uh, Kestrel's a normally a ballistics weather company that make you know wind meters and so so forth and GPSs is yep. and range finders and all that good stuff. Uh, but the but the fine folks over at Kestrel made a made a pretty bougie shot timer, and uh, I've been dry firing so hard with that thing that I broke a gun today. We'll, we'll talk about that in a later episode. <laughs> but um, what 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 we're gonna talk about in these shot timers is like what feature sets do you need and benefit you, and what don't in terms of like. Hey, I could have the basic bitch pocket pro all the way up to this Kestrel thing that I've now got. That is a three hundred dollars shot timer, right? So things that things to consider, things to look out for in timers, feature sets that are available and are not available, uh, depending on different models and et cetera. So rather than just like rather than just the like, hey, let's do a comparison of all these timers. Uh, I thought maybe what we could do is talk about timers in general and some things that you could do with them that maybe people didn't realize they could do. Right. So if you're in our audience, I hope you have a timer. I hope you know how to set a part time. I hope you know how to dry fire using a part time to measure metrics and performance. And I hope that you're regularly competing or judging your skill sets using a ti- uh, shot timer is one of the uh, metrics of performance as to whether or not you're getting better as a shooter. I hope if you're still not, I don't, I don't know how much more I can slam my head on the wall, but like, dude, you gotta be time in your performance. The only two things that matter in a gunfight are, are shot placement and speed of that shot placement. And that is it. Right. There's, there's, there's only two things. Where'd you put the rounds and how fast you get them there? That's it, right? And from a competitive perspective, unless you're shooting straight up bullseye uh, or doing like a, a deal with your buddies, we're just going to see who can shoot the best B8 score or whatever. Like if you are competing, you are competing under a timer. So you're being timed. Uh, there's hit factor scoring. There's IDPA style scoring, time plus points, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, your time factors in at a certain degree uh to whether or not you win or lose a match or where you place all that good kind of stuff so timers should be something that are not foreign to you so i have uh direct personal and professional experience when i when i say personal experience i mean i've trained with them i've used them uh and then professional experience i've used them to conduct training right like i've actually worn them and used them uh with a couple different timers so timers that i've taught with include the pocket pro otherwise known as a little blue blue box of death right i've owned a pocket pro timer or two uh in my day a little boot competition electronics pocket pro thing uh blue box beeper all that good kind of stuff mm-hmm. uh the the pack club club timer the little uh moderately triangular looking black thing with the green button on it uh that clips your belt everybody's so familiar with the pack you know club timer too the range tech timer, uh, the range tech t- shot timer is one that there might even be one down here. There is, in fact, right here. So this is a, uh, a range tech shot timer uh, from a guy 
RangeTechTimer.com. Riley Bowman is uh, one of the one of the owners and operators of this organization, uh, Range Tech. Uh, so there's this timer, and then now I have the Kestrel KST 1000. That's professional experience. Personal experience includes the AMG Labs Commander, the CDE, and now the uh, the SG Global uh, Shot Timer, SG Global Timer. Let me make sure I'm not fucking that name up either. Mm, Shooters Global, that's it. The Shooters Global Shot Timer. Uh, and when I say personal experience, I mean, I've trained with somebody else who had one or I've been AI in a class and, and, you know, the primary instructor threw me the AMG labs and it was my job to run that timer, um, or, you know, in competition, et cetera, et cetera. So a couple things to, to keep in mind, right? Uh, like with this range tech timer, for example, if you'll notice, if you look at this thing, this is the only timer I've ever owned. On video, you can see this thing has no display. All it has is a beat. Okay? So here's the thing. Timer with no display, what display is it relying on? iPhone. So there's a Bluetooth connectivity between the range tech and the iPhone, uh, or the range tech and the Android. And uh, now we've got our timer display and all our, we can change all our settings and control the whole timer on our wireless device. But then this is our actual beat. Right? So, I'm going to break these, these timers into two categories. I'm going to talk about timers that are smart enough to dry fire with and timers that are not. And this is why I'm so excited about this Kestrel. There's two primary reasons. The one thing I'm excited about this Kestrel for is the fact that it, its settings are so infinitely adjustable that I could use the same timer on the indoor range, on the outdoor range, for a variety of calibers and noise levels, and the same timer can hear dry fire. Like, the click of the trigger, if that's the last thing that happens, will be the last split on your timer. So, if it's sensitive enough to hear dry fire, you must understand it's going to hear the gun clearing the kydex of the holster. It's going to hear anything else you do on the gun. It's going to feel vibrations. But what I've been getting is like, okay, so I'm doing a one a one second draw part time. I'll I'll get a beat, draw, click, safe holster, um, and I'll see us. I'll see the first split is a 43. That's my access. That's the gun coming out of the kydex and about 0.43. I'll see the next split is about a six seven. That's my hands bumping together on the gun. And then my next split stops at a stops at a nine two nine five nine eight one whatever. That's the actual click of the trigger. And then I'll see a big dead spot, and then it'll hear the safety click, right? And then it'll holst, and then you'll hear the holster. So the whole time on that timer might say five seconds, but if you look, you'll see forty three sixty eight ninety five. 205, you get the safety click. And then at 255 or three or whatever, you'll hear the you'll hear the gun go back into the holster on the timer. But it's pretty obvious uh which one's that draw stroke, for example. Yeah. So if I if I could jump in here, because I think it's worth mentioning, some people may be listening to this and be like, why the hell would you spend three hundred dollars on a shot timer? 
uh, how important is it to catch all of those metrics? You know, the clearing uh, or the access of the gun, the clearing of the holster, the presentation of the firearm and the, the, the click of the trigger. It all comes down to how precise you want to be. Okay. Yeah. Um, also, clear, clearing up the fogginess of dry fire because I don't have a Kestrel. I don't have the cool Gucci stuff that Kent has. Uh, uh, I mean, any of my professional experience in, in training firearms is, is predominantly done alongside Kent anyway. Um, so I'll let him spend that money. With that being said, though, um, if you it, 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 short of having that Kestrel, right, the the free apps on your phone where you can set a part time. The, you know, any literally any other uh, shot timer that might fall under the not dry fire compatible category that can't just outline for everybody. You're still left wondering, right? So if I set a, a, a one and a half second par time to draw, find the dot, press the trigger, I'm relying on my own per- perception of the click of the trigger and the recognition of the sh- the par time beep to know if I made that time hack or not. That's it's a, a very in, in, the, in the grand scheme of training and anybody that's trained with Kent or Kent and I know that we will break things down into what's called micro drilling. Right. Um, not trying to give up too much of the secret sauce, but at Do the it, same no. time. Yeah. yeah. So one of the inaugural things that we do for the, uh, you know, uh, handgun or defensive uh, pistol metrics course is, you know, uh, access, grip, present. And each of those to the standard, we expect students to be able to meet a three, a, call it a point three three second benchmark for each of those three things ultimately equaling in a sub one second first shot on target short of that you might be hitting 105 120 150 two second whatever it is you don't know where you're slowing down you don't know where the speed bump is in your procedure so therefore you're kind of left wondering right why do I keep, why do I keep, like, I'm picking up the dot, I'm, I'm squeezing the, I'm squeezing the trigger, my dot's not moving when I press the trigger, when I hear the click, but I'm still hitting, you know, I'm not meeting my performance goals and, and objectives. It's really hard to know exactly where you can improve when you don't have that level of granularity, right? And I would even argue that a level of precision comes along with some of that purchase price as well, because if it can pick up the milliseconds in between the gripping of a firearm and the clearing of Kydex, that that's an important, that's an important feature set, right? So here, I'll um, give you, I'll give you an exacting, a proof in the pudding on this, right? So I've been working, I've been working on my reloads a little bit more than I normally do. Mm-hmm. Given the context of the type of instructor I am and the people I teach, I don't actually teach a lot of reloads. Nope. Cause civilians right like you're not gonna do a ton of reload but i'm competing and i've noticed that i'm noticing that in competition i'm i'm losing out on some on some speed on my reloads uh and of course you know i'm coming up here i'm i'm co-instructing with uh with tim heron uh so it's you know in his curriculum there's a competitive stage so i want my reloads to be as square away as possible so i can demo good good quality work for students and I think when I when I get the opportunity to teach in this class coming up this weekend, 
I'm going to use the reload as an example of how to teach somebody something because it's something I've been working on and it's fresh in my mind. So here's the deal. Um, my time to a reload from slide lock. So the slide is locked to the rear, right? The gun has gone entirely empty. Get a mag out, access a new mag, get a mag in, close the slide, sights back on target, press trigger. Has been averaging in competitive circles uh, just a little over two seconds that I've been noticing. That's good enough until you end up in a standards scenario or in a uh, or in a, a standing reload scenario, and then and then that time starts to bleed a little bit. A two second reload in an IDPA stage where you have to do three seconds of running after the reload kind of doesn't matter, right? As long as you get the gun back and up and, and into position before your next array, you know, if I have to run from deep front right to deep back left uh, on the on the stage boundary, then that's going to take me more than than a second and a half or two seconds anyway. But I've been working to shave that number down a little bit. Uh, and I, I've been working on some different technique things and whatever. Uh, so today when I was doing my dry fire, I had set a part time at one eight. So beat from the beginning of the first B to the end of the last P, B, E, E, P, B, E, E, P, I've got that set to 1.8. So in my dry fire mode on this Kestrel timer, there's a, every time there's a 1.8 split recorded on this timer. If you do nothing, there will be a 1.8 there, right? So I'm starting with the gun, locked to the rear, empty mag and gun, First beep, out goes mag, in goes mag, close goes slide, click. Am I making it or am I missing it? Well, if I've got a split after 1.8 on there, I should have no splits after 1.8 until I get to like a 2.5 or whatever when I decide to manipulate my safety or do something else on the gun. Does that make sense to you, TJ? Sure does. Okay. So on the Kestrel, what number was I seeing today? I was seeing a whole shitload of 177. I was making my 1.8 part-time by three one-hundredths of a second. Is that good? Should I celebrate that? Sure, that's cool. Or you could say I was by my gnat's ass making it, right? Right. Barely making it. Now, to your point, if you'd have asked me, if you'd have said, yeah, did you make that or not? I said, yeah, I made it. But you wouldn't be able to articulate exactly I would how be, much. Right. But by how much, I don't, I mean, it seemed to me like I made it and I did make it repetitively. I was making it. I was getting a 177 and then a, and then a freaking 180. And what's cool mm -hmm. about this is as you're even playing with the echo settings on this Kestrel to make that a reality because you can't. When I say, when I say echo settings, I mean the ability for it to hear that many follow ups that quick. Normally, a shot timer will come with a 0.11 echo setting, which means it won't hear a split faster than an 11. Because if it did, it would be hearing boom, boom, boom. And it would, you know, so like if you take a if you take a packed club timer or a, yeah, if you take a packed club timer into the indoor range at West Shore and you shoot a and you shoot a one second draw, you'll get a. One second, and then you'll get a then you'll get a one eleven and a one twenty one. You'll never get a faster time than one twenty one, right? Because of the echo. Because of the echo, it'll hear. It'll actually think it heard three shots, 
Right. So you'd be standing there, and if you're at one second, you'd be at a 121. So you're two tenths off. So what do you have to do on the pack timer to fix this? So this is this is one of the things. This is where I wanted to go because I have two timers in my possession now that I'm capable of uh, adjusting these things to the point where I could make them work in those conditions. I've got the range tech and I've got this caster. Okay. On the range tech though, on the, so on this range tech, if I go in my range tech, tech app, I could say, Hey, I want a, uh, I want a delayed start. I want that delayed start to be between two and four seconds or 1.5 and three seconds or whatever the hell number I want my delayed start. I want that delayed start to be at random. I want the sensitivity to be at this level. I want the echo setting to be at this. And I can sit there and I can tune the timer on the indoor range to when I crack off one shot, I only get one shot on the timer. And then I can prove that out in drills, and that's great. I can do the same thing with the Kestrel. The difference is on the Kestrel, I get five presets or six to where right now on my Kestrel, I have a preset for outdoor range solo outdoor range instant, indoor range solo, indoor range instant, and dry fire solo. I'm defining solo and instant, um, basically meaning, am I pressing my own button or am I pressing a button for somebody else? Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. So if I'm solo, I want to delay. And if I'm, uh, if I'm not solo, you know, if I'm, if I'm, you know, running for somebody else, I want that instant. The difference, though, becomes uh, on on this Kestrel also, the Kestrel is its own, um, is its own display. And this, I would have stopped at the range tech, to be quite honest with you. I would have been done on the range tech. The range tech does enough of what I needed to. It has some misses. It's not perfect. Riley and them are coming out with another version of it. That's all cool. Um but the number one miss on the range tag is the fact that it's not its own display. Right. So, so when you're training by yourself and it's fine for dry fire at the house, cause you just lay it on a table or something. It's not a big bother. Uh, the, the phone, I mean by it. Uh, but if you're out on the range, now you got a gun and a phone and a shot and a timer. Yeah. And you're, you know, so now you got shit clipped all over your belt. You know, so if I'm trying to run like minimalist concealed carry training, I'm out there in a freaking, you know, enigma and a sweatshirt and a pair of shorts. I got shit hanging all over me now. I got a, I got a timer clip to one pocket. I got a phone sticking out my other, like it's a, it's a whole ass ache, right? So I like that the Kestrel has its, has its own built-in display. I, I think that's pretty crucial and key. Uh, the, the sensitivity is, is banana pants bonkers. I mean, the way you can tune this timer, I'm going to be real with you. I'm, I, I would love very much, and I'm going to try to make an effort to make this happen. I would love to bring a person from Kestrel on this show and have them talk us through all the, all the available settings. Yeah. Zid is shenanigans. I've, I've barely cracked the surface of what I can do with this thing. It's absolute shenanigans. It's got all these presets in it. So it's got presets for pistol. It's got presets for suppressed 22. It's got a preset for, I think, 300 blackout, sub and super and suppressed and unsuppressed. It's got a preset for rifle. Like It's got all these presets. So then you go into that preset, and from there you're editing sensitivity settings. Yeah, I mean, shit, the, 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 the preset configurations alone 
are worth it because I can't tell you how many times that, you know, I've been running a three gun, uh, three gun, uh, competition and, you know, one dude wants to show up with his suppressed 300 blackout or, yep. you know, what, or he's got, you know, bunny fart reloads in his PCC and you could adjust your shot timer sensitivity to pick up the dude that's suppressed versus everyone else who's literally not suppressed. And, but it takes so much time to get in there to hold on to me, just the settings and blah, 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 this, that, and the other. Uh, and now, and so, you know, you get, you get, tactical Joe that shows up with his suppressed firearm and you just drop the setting or change the profile real quick onto the races. You don't have to spend 20 minutes dicking around with the sensitivity settings on your, your pack club timer or any of those others. So yeah, man, I think we should definitely get uh, somebody from Kestrel on the show. That'd be awesome. Honestly, I'd love to hear more about some of their other, uh, there are other utilities as well. I'm a, there's a lot of long range shooters at my local gun range. Um, and those guys are whipping out all sorts of um, amazing tech. Uh, you know, you've got lab radars. I can't wait to see one of the new um, Garmin. What is it? XC one or whatever the hell it is. Their new ballistics, uh, not ballistics. They're a uh, chronograph. Right to effectively compete with the lab radar, uh, they're pulling out kestrels. They're pulling out you know, the actual weather meter, all that other Gucci shit. Some yeah. some of these guys even have the super duty ones that have the the weather station in it and the applied ballistics yep. calculator, which is just amazing. If, if you're going to shoot out to a thousand yards plus, you need it. They uh, make you need pretty to cool know stuff your weather for sure. Conditions. I, I think yeah. it's pretty cool. Oh, absolutely. So that, I, one. I will say this one, one last thing I want to say because we, we did mention the you know the phone app shot timers. I think those are good, especially if you're just getting started. The downside is though, and this just hurts my heart from an IT perspective, you know, being a, a computer nerd that I am. I'm really disappointed that with all the techno- technological power that exists in our cell phones these days, that a more appropriate or Gucci'd out shot timer app hasn't been developed for the iPhone or the Android might have something to do with the limitations of the hardware, like the microphone in your iPhone or your, you know, microphone settings in your Android just can't be adjusted that way. It's either all or nothing, but I don't know. Either way, yeah. I'm still happy to see that the industry is meeting the needs of uh, people that want to train to a certain level of, perf- you know, perfection or the, granularity. The, uh, even. I, I t- For what it's worth, other than a part-time, beep right. and beep. Beep and yeah, that's it. That's the only thing I've found that's worth a shit in the phone timers. Yep, that's exactly I, right. I've I've not found a single uh, phone app for your shot shot timer phone app. Uh, they have the one the gunshot properly. It, it, it's it's wild. Like they've got the one they've got the uh, Apple Watch one, or they had some company had like a thirty dollar Apple Watch one. I bought it. I was like, fuck yeah, Apple Watch timer. That's cool. Like, I, I literally had in my head, I was like, well, if that can do everything that my other timer can do, then I don't need to. That's one less thing I need to carry. Right. Nope. Not even close. Yeah. I, mean, I know we, Max Michelle. Max Michelle was working on developing a watch, and I think they still have it. I think Double Alpha Academy still makes them. But yep. there is a, a shot timer watch. 
yep, there that is. will pick up all that stuff. And even use, you know, you can even do the dry fire and all that stuff. But yeah, I honestly like the the phone. Here's the thing that bothered me on the phone timer app. I started I started my pack club timer and I started the phone app. Two beeps. Now the beeps weren't synchronous, so the first shot and last shot were never going to be the same because there's no way mm-hmm. you can get two synchronous beeps. There's no reason the split should be different, right? Right. So if I start two timers and then I set in on a gun and I go one, two, three, four, five, and I know I just shot thirty splits, and I have one timer that goes, "Yup, those are thirty splits." I have another timer that goes, "Those are forty-five splits." like i can't use that phone shit and to your point i think i think it really has to do with the microphone and like last thing i want to the other thing too is last thing i want to do is take my thousand dollar iphone plus or minus and stick it to the ejection port of a pcc so i can hear shit right exactly i can't possibly see anything going wrong in that scenario um so you get a phone call (laughs) 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 yeah that happens to me enough as it is um so one of the other one of the other things about these shot timers that I think is really cool is their ability to Bluetooth link. So this Kestrel allows me the ability to Bluetooth link and dump data right into practice core. That's cool. Now I like to use practice core for practice and keep score, which I think might have been its original point now that I just you know used its name in a sentence. Uh so I'll set up a stage and practice score and I'll enter, I'll enter 10 shooters that are all me. Kent one, Kent two, Kent three. You get what I'm saying? Yep. And I'll shoot against myself on the same stage. My favorite part of that is, is twofold. Number one, I always win, but, but number two, like you can literally see, you can look on the same stage and you can go, my median average would have been Kent five as it turns out. Like, that's what I actually would have done on that stage. That's a really interesting way to look at it. I hadn't thought about doing it that way. Well, sure. So if you if you put the data in practice score and you're on the same stage 10 times. Yeah. It's a, if it's an IDPA stage, it's a 180-round practice day, right, at, the, at max, assuming you shoot an 18-round stage, which you don't have to. But assuming we're going to set up a, a conventional IDPA stage, the fucker's an 18-rounder. We're gonna, we're gonna, so that's a 180 round practice day. And if you walk around with the tablet behind yourself and you know shit score for yourself, keeping 100% round accountability, you'll know exactly what your day looked like. Yep. You'll, you'll know every zero, every one, every three, every non threat, every mic. You'll know, you'll know every roll time, you'll know every total. And and I'm I'm using IDPA as an example, but I mean you could do this with 3GN scoring, you could do this with USPSA scoring, wouldn't matter, right? And you could do it either you could do it one of two ways. You know, you could either you could either in practice score make up a match and replicate the same stage nine to, or ten times, or you can go into practice score and make one stage and, and ten shooters. Uh I like to do the one stage ten shooters thing. Uh, because because that's less admin work in practice core. It takes more the effort. One thing, 
the the one thing that I think would have improved that, just to kind of go along with the theme and the granularity that you get with the Kestrel shot timer, would be if it also would data dump for you a call it a spreadsheet, whatever. I don't expect it to keep the whole score in. You know, it, it should be capturing the whole score in practice score. But it'd be cool if you could get a whole data sheet where if you knew the key pattern, right? So you start in box A, engage three targets, forced reload, move to box B, engage the rest of the targets, whatever have you. If it would break down, because it can pick up the clearing of the holster and all that other stuff, if it would actually break down for you all of your move, it would actually break your stage down for you. If you Okay, me. so this is the timer. This is the one I didn't buy. The Shooters Global does exactly that. Really? Yes. So the, the Shooters Global has a has an app where if you run if you if you Bluetooth link it to video, the mm-hmm. Shooters Global will actually will show you a video breakdown of splits and taunt licks. So you can do exactly what you just said. Interesting. So that's that's the the upside of the Shooters Global. The downside of the Shooters Global is is pretty quiet as it turns out doesn't have a loud oh the, the the beep's not that loud oh yeah that's a problem right so that's one of the that's one of the problems and the other problem with the shooters global i think um and this is just from talking to really to dudes that have both uh and got you know guys i deal with at the range and stuff like that i actually asked Heron. uh so tim tim and i were talking about it and i was like look dude i'm spending 300 dollars on one of these timers here are the features I care about. I know you have them both. Which do I buy? And he was like, yo, Kestrel, that's it. So that's what I did. So that's what I have. So that's what it is. Um, so as I as I looked at that, and then I went, okay, so that's that that was the deal there. The other thing with the shooters global is just like watching videos on it and looking at menu delivery and function and shit like that, because it's so in-depth. Good fucking night. That's a lot of clicks. Like, I don't need to be mm-hmm. making that many clicks. I don't want to run on an actual, you know, computer out here most of the time. Right. So, you know, it's just it's just one of those things uh, that's kind of different. The other thing about the Shooters Global is it requires that. Yeah, it's, it's actually mounted to your belt via a magnet that then clips to your belt or your pocket or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, again, just more shit to juggle, right? Right. So now you got the timer and the belt clip and the iPad if you're doing practice score and that you know you're really getting you're really getting bougie ass out here trying to trying to get better at you know a simple shooting task. Yeah. When the one shot timer you have is going to require a range bag of its own. Right. Starts, playing there's, there's a lot of diminishing returns on that one. Um, I would say though, just as we start to kind of transition over into the next topic, I think the one thing that I would wish for just in the existing shot timers. Cause I've, I think I've got the pack club timer two or the pocket. It's the pocket pro. I think it's the one that looks like a kidney. Um, the, the, yeah, I think the it's pack. the pocket pro. That's the pack. Uh, the, club is that timer. the pack? Pack club timer. There we go. I can't keep all these damn straight, damn things straight. I actually had, I had the little blue one and that one is, it, it suffers from the same problem. The Pack Club timer, I it wish well, like actually I wish I wish all of these things. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, kidney, bottom quadrant mm-hmm. of a lung, whatever. Yeah. Um it's not creepy. I wish they made that I, at all. 
I wish they made them more resilient or more rugged. Okay. Um, okay. I'm sorry. 130, 130 bucks. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause these look the, the, the first two. So the blue one and the kidney that Kent was talking about there, they have differences. The LCD screen in the, the pocket pro is uh, the first thing that will usually fail, especially if you leave it in a truck in the hot summer sun in Tennessee, ask me how I know. Um, with that being said though, they both feel of equal build quality. They both feel like they, and, and I've seen them break because they're, I mean, you're running around on a range with these things. They're bound to hop off your belt and hit the dirt. Yeah. So I wish they were just a little bit better built. Uh, doesn't have to be like made of steel with a rubberized coating or anything like that. Um, but something a little bit more rugged would have been appreciated, especially considering what it's used for. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I've definitely had the timer I have the most of and have had the most experience with and have owned the most of is the, is the, the pack, uh, the club yeah. timer too. And I like I've, that one, the best out of all of them, at least, or at least of, of its comparable market share. I, the I like problem the problem I had with it was it's not really sensitivity adjustable unless you like start playing with the little raspberry Pi that's inside of it or whatever. So you have yeah. to really know what the fuck you're doing to adjust the sensitivity. That's a problem. Yeah. It's but an actual, problem, like you actually have to adjust a dial. If I remember correctly, it's a rheostat. Yeah. Yeah. It's a rheostat. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing with that one. I've had three of them die on me. I've, I, hmm. Training in the rain killed one. Okay. Like straight that up. That makes killed sense. One. And, and, and I've, you know, I have, I have one right now in my, in my, uh, in my Pelican case that like I was in the middle of a private lesson teaching, you know, beep, da, 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 great. Let's talk about it. Da, 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 da. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. Beep. Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's do this. The fuck? Oh, battery died. That's an inconvenient time for the battery to die. Please hold on, dear student. And of course, I don't stand there and make you change. Watch me change a battery. I reach into the box and grab another timer. When I say professional experience or something, I don't mean I have one. I have fucking two of these, three. Like you know, what are you gonna do? You're not gonna stand there and fart ass with something while somebody's paying you yeah, good money. Like, like most mechanics have a baggie of ten millimeter sockets in the bottom right, right. of their uh, toolbox. Yeah. So that timer, I just tossed away, like in the in the box. Grabbed another one. Bop, bop, bop. Yep. All right, we're ready to rock. Do it. Well, that night, you know, I said to myself, "Oh shit, I got to change batteries in that timer. I'll change batteries in all three of them timers. Three little nine volt batteries. One timer good. Two timer good. Three timer. Nope. She dead. Why is she dead? I don't know. She didn't get wet. She didn't get dropped. She didn't. The fucking it's the brandiest newest of the three of them. Dead." Is dead. Does not know why. I mean, yeah. it's a, it, you buy it 130 bucks on Amazon, but like still, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that's going to call up Pack and be like, "Hey, I need another timer, bro." Um, First of all, they, they, I, I doubt they speak English. Um, sure, right, exactly. So you don't know Ch Chineseium manufacturing, right? So, so here's here's the thing: Kestrel, you know, will tell the, the test of time. I can tell just by the way it's built. It's, it's meant to be rugged as fuck. I hope it stays that way. 
uh, their weather meters and stuff certainly are. So uh, more mm-hmm. info to come on this thing, but it's pretty cool. Um, Riley tells me he's coming out. He was like, man, you know, he saw my post on one of the training forums and stuff about it. He was like, yo, I wish I had a range tech two for you to try. And I was like, you know where to find me, dude. I'll, I'll absolutely try one. And Riley didn't send me these either. I bought these for, I don't remember how much he was charging for them at the time, but I don't, you know, when there's a guy in the industry that I respect a lot and he's got a product out and he wants you to try it, I don't always ask for it for free. Sometimes you just, you know, throw a hundred bucks or yeah, two. Just, yeah, yeah. Ju- just make make sure I get one. I will gladly pay for it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. yeah. And I think, it, I think it is worth noting, um, just so we're following the letter of the law here, um, all the products and, and equipment that we're talking about in this particular episode, we have all paid for it with our own money. Was, none of it was given to us in any way, shape or form. So, yeah, it's timers, yeah. Yeah, from the side yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's cool. So let's talk about handgun hunting because I'm terrible at segues tonight, and like I don't know, I just I want to <laughs> I want to shoot something with a handgun. This is this is pretty pretty well simple. Um, Speaking of segues, I actually heard that the founder of Segway, or the, it was either the founder or the inventor of the Segway company, I heard that he died on a Segway. I don't know how true it is. I'll have to Google. It might just be apocryphal, but. Apocryphal what? No, apocryphal. Um, uh, a, okay, a, 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 word. A, yeah, an often Not misunderstood, true. an often misunderstood fact of history that m- may not have been true. Like, for example, George Washington never was actually quoted as saying, "I cannot tell a lie." They lied. Right, about chopped, it. Yeah, the story about him chopping down his his father's cherry tree. Right. And when his dad asked him about it, he said, I cannot tell a lie. I chopped down right. a cherry tree. That, that is apocryphal. That that did not actually happen. But it's a cool like story. Apocryphal of BS, if you know what I mean. Yeah, pocket full of BS. That's, you know what? That's a good way to remember it. It's a pocket full of bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, believe anyway. it or not, I, so I, I, hold on. I cannot tell a lie. I must tell on myself for this one. I did not know that because I'm that smart. I know that because I watched Mr. Sher- or Mr. Peabody and Sherman, uh, the kids movie uh, where Sherman speaks up and states that a statement made in school was apocryphal. Thank you. I'm like, well, if this, if this animated little shit knows that word, I probably should as a 40 year old man. This animated little shit. Listen, you little animated fucker. <laughs> well, <laughs> All right, so he was adopted by a dog. Clearly, nobody wanted him. I'm just saying. All I want to do is shoot stuff with a handgun. You won't let me talk about it. I just want to talk about shooting animals with a handgun. I've had a hard day. My sponsors, people, nice guys sent me a beautiful gun. I broke it in half. I'm pissy pants. I have to go teach with some shadow systems piece of shit. Yeah, but see, now you've got your segue. Yeah, apocryphal. (laughs) Anyway, handgun hunting. All right, so here's the deal. I've got a couple of different handguns that I want to take hunting. I don't mean take a handgun with me hunting because America do that all the time. It's just whatever carry gun, whatever's appropriate. Bear defense. Rattlesnakes. 10 millimeter rattlesnakes. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. I don't mean that. I mean I want to hunt my query with a handgun. Now, I'm going to be very honest with the audience, and I'm going to tell you a little secret on me. This has been a goal of mine for six or eight years. Okay. I've always told myself 
that this was going to be the time. This was going to be the hunt. And then I threw a rifle in as a backup gun or what have you, right? And then when the moment arose, I decided I like meat better than I like cool stories. And I've still yet to shoot any game animal. Well, that's not quite true, but that's... I've still yet to successfully haunt any game animal with a, with a handgun. I have shot uh, a coyote with a handgun when I was uh, turkey hunting one time because I didn't want to shoot him with a, you know, turkey choke. Three-inch three magnum turkey yeah. load. Yeah. Didn't want to shoot him with that. Uh, so I shot him with the Glock 27 I was carrying that day. For those of you playing the 15 years ago Kent Bingo game, it was a Glock 27 the day I was hunting for the turkey. Uh, I wish that wasn't the truth, but it is. Um, and I have, I've shot, uh, I've, I've shot other various animals that needed shot with handguns. Mm-hmm. Um, like pest control or, or like dangerous and like, you know, snakes and whatnot. Um, trying to think what if i shot with a handgun i shot a squirrel with a handgun one time uh because it was all fucked up it was like rat I've, I've dispatched like if you're a guy that carries a gun and then something dumb happens and something needs to die you do shoot that thing so like i've shot i've shot animals that needed dispatch shit like that but i've never been like you know steven Rinella crawling through the bushes looking for an animal to shoot with a handgun right so here's what i want to do I want to I want to take my Ruger Mark IV, small game hunting, and I want to get a bunny wabbit or a squirrel or something or a couple of somethings with a little twenty two LR red dot equipped handgun. I think that'd be cool as fuck, right? Might even throw the suppressor on it for that particular trip. That'd be cool. The the, the one time, so I've I have I have squirrel hunted with a with a Ruger SR twenty two with a suppressor on it and i can tell you it's a lot of fun it really does sound like a lot of fun um so i want to do that and i want to get a deer or something uh i want to get a deer with either my 10 millimeter uh ruger gp 100 match champ or with my glock uh 40 mos 10 millimeter or with my glock 20 gen 5 10 millimeter that I haven't yet bought from Boresight Solutions, but I keep kind of panting over as I go back and forth and haven't bought it yet. Just saying, you got the green light earlier today, just saying. Mm-hmm. So here's but, what I figure about handgun hunting. I figure it's a mix between bow hunting and muzzle loader in terms of difficulty. Uh, you could have stopped at archery hunting, honestly. Um, you say not for muzzle, me. I'm also. Well, the the reason I say that is because muzzle loader, the challenge with muzzle loaders is the the time to reload, right? So your follow up shots, whatever have you, you know, you're looking at it anyway. I think some of the fastest people, you know, using a front stuffer, maybe a forty five seconds to a minute between shots, and that's not with any particular prescribed accuracy standards. 
So that in and of itself implies a pro- I would even submit a probably a more challenge, a higher degree of challenge. But to your point with respect to the range in which you are engaging your quarry is quite more astutely with archery. Um, you're looking at inside 30 yards, maybe yeah. 40, maybe 40 if you're lucky. Or if you if you and I say lucky, it's kind of a reverse lucky because the, I mean most most of your shots against like whitetail deer and and whatnot in North America are going to be certainly within a hundred yards. But archery hunting whitetail, you're typically going to have have a shot between twenty and forty yards. Longest shot I ever took on a whitetail with a, with archery tackle was uh, thirty seven yards, and um, you were successful. Yes, I was. Yes. Okay. Uh, so, so yeah. I would shoot. I would easily take a handgun shot on a whitetail at fifty yards. Yeah, I think it's doable for sure. Especially, well, and let's keep in mind when I first started getting into it, and people that were hunting with handguns. More specifically, the types of handguns that you're talking about. So, either some type of a revolver or semi-auto loader. There, the red dot craze wasn't a thing. Right. Right. So you either had a big ass revolver with a long eye relief scope on it, like a Ruger Super Red Hawk or something like that. Um, hell, mm-hmm. even a Desert Eagle uh, with a long eye relief scope on it would work. Um, don't know how well the scope would hold up to a Desert Eagle just because of the way the action cycles, but you follow me directionally. Uh, so with your modern red dots, yeah, I think you could easily take an auto loader like a Glock 40 MOS or I mean, hell even your Ruger GP 100. Cause I don't think you, you don't have a red dot on your GP 100. That's just iron sights, right? I don't, I don't. Cause the GP 100 match champions are not compatible with most of the industry red dot mounts. Right. Yeah. And that's fine. So, I mean, give, just, I mean, taking into account your eyesight challenges and whatnot, I think the, the first and foremost, the Glock 40 MOS is the right choice. But at least if you plan on taking that shot outside of, you know, 30, 40 yards inside 30 yards, your Ruger GP 100 iron sights will do do you just fine all day long. Oh, I can hit with the GP. I can I can still score. I can score in a 90 percentile with my GP at 50 yards on a B8. OK, so I can still. Okay. The GP so, yeah. Can so, yeah, if you're yeah, if you're hitting within the nine ring or the nine yeah. nine ring and into the X at 50 yards, then shit, man, you're fine. I wouldn't think you'd have any issues with it. Um, the one thing, and this, you ain't going to like this one, but getting into a, getting into a, either a solid ground blind or a tree stand, you ain't doing a spot and stock with a handgun. Right. Uh, well, unless it's a larger so. animal. I mean, so the only time I've seen that done successfully is, and I mean a true no shit spot and stock, was on elk and mule deer. And elk are a little bit more chill. They're not as skittish. I mean, they are skittish, but they're not as skittish as white. Yeah, deer. Mule, and fucking mule, mule deer. Are mule, like, mule, oh, yeah, mule deer are just dumb as shit. Mule deer don't react to anything. They are emotionally and intellectually numb from the ears down. <laughs> so, yeah, I think you'd be okay. 
but that was done with a the, the there's actually there's even video footage of it but there was i can't remember was it, it might have been jim shockey that did it it was either jim shockey or somebody like jim shockey like from that era but right. he took down an elk with a dan wesson 10 millimeter 1911 style firearm i each shot it three or four times but he was he literally surprised it coming through the brush uh, and he had to get through the brush in order to get a clean shot at it. So I don't know. I mean, I can imagine. Ultimately, it went, it went down. I mean, it's it's a humane kill. Ten millimeter is like hitting it with a semi truck. So, but if I mean, if a bow's if a bow's a humane kill, a ten millimeter absolutely is. Uh, the speed of delivery. Well, yeah, yeah. We get we. I, I'll I'll submit to that. I think they're. The bow is a humane kill for a different reason. I'm not following. What do you, what do you mean? So with modern archery tackle, the the quality of your broadhead and the cutting the cutting surface of a broadhead, even fixed blade, you know, you're putting a one inch, often three edged or you know triple edged blade through the major organs of your quarry right mm -hmm. so you're either you're either bleeding them out really freaking fast or they're going to suffocate because you get a double lung shot right mm -hmm. and they're going to be out before they realize what happens and for the for the record for those that might be squeamish there's something that everybody needs to understand oh those poor little deer right first and foremost the deer don't really feel all that much pain uh deer actually have uh, the average north american white-tailed deer has a I won't say overdeveloped, but they have a hyperactive pituitary gland. Pituitary gland is responsible for the injection of adrenaline into the bloodstream. Um, and deer off rarely, if ever, actually feel pain so long as that they're dispatched in a relatively quick manner. Just for clarity, you hit you take a double lung shot on a white-tailed deer, it's it's stone dead within a, a couple of minutes. Right. Um, doesn't even realize what happened. Heart shot, same deal. Right. They bleed out before they realize what the hell happened. I have seen deer shot with hollow point five, five, six ammunition, which if we're looking at kinetic energy, right, kinetic energy delivered on target from a five, five, six is far superior to that of any archery tackle. And I've seen deer get hit with a 77 grain hollow point five, five, six that were never recovered. So yeah, I, I, okay. when, you, when, so, when you when you're hunting with firearms, right, you want to make sure you're dumping as much kinetic energy into that deer and causing enough catastrophic of a wound cavity that it will die humanely and swiftly. That's really the, that's really the difference I'm talking about, the swiftness of the exploration of the animal. So would you would you say that if I put a broadhead on the X-ring? And a 10 millimeter on the X-ray and they'll have the same effect. Yes. Okay. That's For all I meant. Part. Yeah. That's all I meant. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, 10 millimeter. Yeah. I'm, it, I'm yes. speaking specific, like, like I would definitely tell you, don't shoot a deer with a fucking nine millimeter. Right. No. No. Not interested. Yeah. Right. I'm not, I have no right. interest so. in that. That's not, that's not the place I'm going. That's, that's not where I, what I, I think, what, what I think is interesting about the, about the whole handgun hunting thing is the, the relative difficulty of the shot. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's pretty neat. That's all. I don't, 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because in archery, me with archery is a – if I put something down yet this year with a bow, it's going to have to be a perfect circumstance. It's going to have to be an absolute perfect circumstance for me to put something down with a bow. Now, for me to put something down with a gun does not require it. it, I mean – you give me a handgun and you show me you show me a good a good spot. I'll hit that spot. So like, well, let's di- let, hold on. Let's dissect that for a minute. What in your mind is a perfect opportunity for an archery shot? Like when I, you say it has to be a perfect opportunity, like tell me what that means. I need a clear shoot. I I'm not saying archers need. I'm saying I need my current level of archery skill acquires a clear shooting lane. 30 yards and in, and if we're being really intellectually honest with ourselves, we might we might prefer 20 yards and in. Mm-hmm. Uh, animal moving, in, fucking molasses slow, if not totally stone still. Um, no foreground and background obscurities at all. No a- no angular deviation. Nothing weird. No brush between us. Mm-hmm. Etc. Now, yeah, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't take a uh, an archery shot on anything with with any type of obstruction, um, a, a branch, twig, whatever have you. Like to your point, I want a clear shot, but the angle of the animal will also dictate shot placement. Quartering towards, quartering away, right? Straight broadside. What's behind it? Um, you know, this, that, and the third. All these different things, because I mean, you, you, I, I've I've liver shot in 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 perforated guts with deer before. It's not fun. Fun fact: it doesn't actually spoil the meat as much as you think it does, so long as you get the animal cleaned out quick enough. Yeah, no, I, I've I've seen that as well. I I think, you know, in in the in the like the scheme of things that you hear guys are shooting deer with, right? Guys are shooting deer with with uh, compound bows. Guys are shooting deer with crossbows. I'm not saying there's no such thing as a recurve bow shooting deer. Uh, that's not what I mean. We talked about that here recently. Uh, mm-hmm. Crossbows, compound bows, muzzle loaders, shotguns, and rifles are primarily what he's used. Yeah. Uh, so, like, so, like, you'll have a guy that your average deer hunter guy who's into deer hunting for the whole year or as much as he can deer hunt. He'll have an archery tackle set up. He'll have he'll have a you know a rifle season or a shotgun season set up, and then he'll have a muzzle loader. Mm-hmm. Those are all other than the compound bow. The only thing for me that's harder to hit with uh, is the compound bow. But like, if you gave me a crossbow, it's like, hey man, you know, four points of contact on a crossbow. Safety, trigger, radical. I think I could pretty well figure it out. Uh, you give me the muzzle loader, especially the inline, same thing. Four points of contact, trigger, hammer, radical. Uh, the only thing with the muzzle loader is is you better have your follow through square because you cannot, you can't be flinching. You know, if, mm-hmm. if you got any deviation between the click of the trigger and the actual bang, you know, you want to be, you'd be squared away there. Shotgun's pretty well easy, and the rifle's pretty much like super easy. I see the handgun as as a big challenge. Um, mm-hmm. 
as I as I look back on game I've actually killed, I've realized that uh, at least one of the deer I've actually killed and the bear I killed, I could have also probably killed with a handgun. Mm-hmm. Like that is possible. Um, now the last the last year I shot, I shot it, you know, hundred and eight yards or something like that down at Zach's place. I don't the I don't imagine that. I, I don't imagine I would have taken that shot with a handgun because it wasn't just, a, you know, 108 yards on a steel target from across range nine is one thing. Uh, 108 yards from up in a block spline down into terrain undulations, you know, as it's as it start, you know, I shot him with with barely any legal light left. I mean, it was getting dark in a hurry, you know, it was on the right side, but not by much. Um, Mm-hmm. And like the train that he was down in like some train saddles and dips. So like that would have been one mother effort of a pistol shot. Like that would have been, Oh yeah. That would have been a very tough pistol shot. Um, but with, you know, magnified optic on a 308, it really wasn't that challenging. No, 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 no. It's, it's, that's click and drag, man. Right. Um, so, so yeah. I'm just saying, I, I want to know, I want to know from the, from the end, eventual viewers of this, but I want to know from you, I mean, what's the deal? Is it, is it the Glock 10 millimeter, the 40 MOS with the dot on it? Or is it the, uh, yeah. Yeah. Or do I, having, take the ha- I mean, you could, you, you really can't go wrong with either. I, I'd like to know, especially given your skill set. um, they're both 10 millimeter. I think the barrel length is close enough to not really mean, have a meaningful difference on ballistics. I just think it's about ease of shot placement with the aiming devices that you have available to you on the Glock platform. Right. Cause with yeah. your luck, you'd be like, Oh, I'll take my revolver. I'm not going to shoot a deer inside, you know, outside of 20 yards with this thing, maybe 30 yards. Let's be generous. Right. right? And then with your luck, Every deer you see, the trophiest of trophy animals is going to come out in front of you at exactly 31 yards. <laughs> You're like, ah, well, shit, right? Um, you, you'll see them everywhere, but within your acceptable range that you're willing to engage that that target with. So I think just for just for grins, just to, to get it out of your system, at least for this first time, right? Go more modern. Go with the Glock. That's just my two cents. All right. I like it. That's just my two cents. Um, yeah, man. I think that's relatively doable. Um, I will tell you this, though. So, f- oddest shot placement that I've had that still resulted in death, almost instantaneous, by the way, which is what makes this impressive. I actually shot a deer in the ass and it died. I shared this experience and I, with you. And I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not, hold on. And I'm not talking about a Texas heart shot. I know it's you mean. Where you, where you aim three quarters of an inch below the tail and send one, right? Yes, that is a thing, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. It is called a Texas heart shot. Um, but I was, it was my first time hunting with a black powder rifle. And I try to hunt as traditionally as I can, um, short of actual gun season. I'm not going to, I'm not going to look down on the opportunity to use higher, you know, more advanced technology, but 
Um, I use a no shit front stuffer ball and patch granular double F black powder rifle. Okay. <laughs> I don't. Mine is an ingo line yeah. that uses shotgun primers. Right. Right. So percussion cap. So this was a Thompson Center contender, which is like a step down from the Thompson Center Hawken, which is like which is what I currently have. Okay. So I practice with it. Target's good. For those of you playing the home game who aren't familiar with, you know, turn of the century, and I mean the 18th century technology, um, <laughs> even even rifled black powder guns with ball and patch are not the most consistent. I had a I had a deer come out within within 20 yards. She was easily within 20 yards. Um not certainly not beyond that. I, I dare I even say that she was closer than 20 yards. But I leveled my gun at her. I pressed the trigger. By the time the smoke cleared, she took two steps, fell over dead. Dead as a doornail. I mean, probably the fastest kill I've seen myself anyway. Because usually, even the ones that I've shot with a 308, they'll usually run 10, 15 yards, fall over dead, right? They'll make it to a thicket, whatever have you. This one died practically where she stood when I shot her. So, like the good hunter that I am, I waited a few minutes, you know, 10, 15 minutes. I'm like, all right, I'm going to get down, make sure she's dead. You know, get poker. You know, make sure she doesn't jump up and, and hit me with her hooves. Because um, there are hunters that have died that way, by the way. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, all right, she's dead. Cool. Where's the bullet hole? <laughs> no blood, no bullet hole, nothing. I'm like, did I scare her to death? Like, what the <laughs> hell happened? So I get this deer home. I string her up in my garage and I proceed to processing the game. Because I process and butcher my own meat completely. Um, I haven't used a butcher. Actually, the only time I've used a butcher was the first deer I killed. Everything else I've learned to do myself. So I've got this thing hung up and I'm going to and I noticed I noticed the hips seemed misaligned. I'm like, something's like this is way too easy to cut through because I usually grab a, a reciprocating saw and I'll split the split the hip uh, or the pelvic bone. Um, so I've got the two quarters uh, of the hind yep. quarters. And as I split the hindquarters, something fell out and it was a mushroomed, it was the ball. It was a 50 caliber lead ball that had mushroomed completely flat that fell to the floor of my garage. I'm like, what the hell? That's when I realized, I started looking at the actual hindquarters and noticed that the hips were all fucked up. Like I was like, did I shoot that deer in the damn hip and she died? Well, I didn't believe it. I even showed char- I even showed my wife. I'm like, some ain't right here, but yeah, she tasted fine. But it was just it was the weirdest damn thing. It's probably my strangest experience hunting that I t- to date that I've experienced. Do you suppose that perhaps? See, see, this no, is- I was not I- aiming at the wrong end of the deer. No, no, no. no. <laughs> So, so, because uh, I too share this experience. I shot a deer. I shot a deer once, and was unable to find an entrance hole. Mm-hmm. But the exit hole was obviously in the in the rear right corner. 
Okay. Now, I would have told you that I shot that deer through the front, like a quartering away front and left. Okay. I believe that I made my quartering away front and left shot. Um, and that, and that, ob- and that he just kind of like, you know, it, it was just such a small projectile that poked through that I never could find where it poked through. But obviously, by the time it got to the other end, it, you know, it really kind of, kind of didn't make a lot of, you know, a lot of noise or racket inside the animal until it got the other uh, out the other end, kind of thing. Do you think mm-hmm. it's possible that what you actually found was like the final destination and the and really the round went where you thought it did? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, this wasn't because the deer was perfect broadside. Like, dude, I could not have scripted a better shot. Right. Right. Clear, clear view. I mean, she's obviously within 20 yards of me. I'm from a, I'm hunting from a tree stand. And Uh. the only, the only thing I was able to find was the entry hole, which was on, on the hindquarter. That's so weird. The bullet stopped in the pelvic bone. Right now, if it was like a, a long shot where she was quartering towards me or away from me and I was actually like the bullet skips around or skips down the body length and comes out the ass end. That's one thing, but the bullet wouldn't have still been in there. And the only entry hole I found was in the, uh, was in the right butt cheek effectively, right? You know, the right hip. Um, the only thing that I can think of is that thing hit with so much force because, I mean, we're talking about a 50 pa- a fifty caliber lead ball, you know, 250 grain ball. It's actually it's probably even heavier than that. It's probably 300 grain, 90 grains of black powder. The only thing I can think of is it hit close enough to her spinal column right. that it that it sent the shockwave right up her spine and lights, you know, lights out as fast as possible. But that is probably the fastest kill that I've had, but the most bizarre like, cause she didn't limp away. She didn't like jump. Cause I've even seen deer. I've seen guys miss and like hit the deer in the leg and like blow the leg off. And you see a three legged deer haul ass for 150 yards before it lays down somewhere. Right. Yeah. Um, and shit like that turns my stomach by the way. Like that always bothers me. I try to hunt as ethically as I can. And the fact that they even tell them like this was on a, a broadcast hunting show on it was like the outdoor channel or sportsman channel whatever the hell it was um but i watched this dude take a shot on a deer that was facing him and you see that deer's front leg get blown off and that deer just hauls ass shot deer with bow plenty of time shot deer with a rifle right through the lungs and yes they still jump off so the only thing i can think of because of where she fell she literally took two staggered steps and fell over dead is I hit her close enough to the spinal column that it reverberated up and it effectively just shattered the spine effectively. Maybe she had a heart attack. I mean, that's the... I mean, the heart tasted fine too because I ate that as well. So... The heart did not attack me when I tried to eat it. I was going to say, was your beard hair black before you ate that deer's heart? No, it was. It's always been red, man. Her heart took you. Always so been much. red. Although, although now it's it's a bit gray. Oh yeah, I get a little. A little man, this side's this side's called Dan Brady. This side's called Kent. 
That's good. I think we need to end right there. Ladies and gentlemen, sponsors, t-shirts, fucking, that's, I can't top that. You win. Yep, you win this round. Works. I'm going under my yep, hood now. It. I'll be, I'll be under here. So you guys. Till, yeah. Till yeah. You, can't, can't still in mourning for breaking his favorite toy. Um, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. Um, again, we hope you are really appreciating the new broadcast style with the pre-recorded episodes. Uh, certainly gives us an opportunity to uh, really put some notes together and think about things that we're going to do before we talk about them, um, as well as gives you guys some opportunity to not feel like you missed the live broadcast. And I've actually been getting some feedback from some of you who actually prefer this, yep. but we're always curious what you guys think. So feel free to hit us up. Podcast at gmail.com, Kent at GreenMountainDefense.com. Or, of course, the various social media platforms, which Kent is still on, but I am not. Um, With that, thank you all for your time this week. God bless you all. Take care of each other. Get out and shoot. Bye, y'all.